Hey everyone, welcome to Game Up Podcast number 39. Today we're talking about Star Renegades and Hot Shot Racing. We're also going to be talking about a PS5 reveal event with a bunch of totally, definitely interesting news and hot takes and everything else that comes with that. I'm one of your hosts, Andy, aka Solid Talker, here with the other one of the hosts. Oh no, I'm setting this one out. You're gonna you're gonna okay. monologue this entire episode. No, I'm Brent Arcadia. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna do your voice, so it's fine. <laughs> Next episode, we're doing Next. that. <laughs> and uh, let's jump right into some PS5 news, Brent. Why don't you tell us what happened? You've, you've owned a PlayStation before. Oh, yeah, I've, I've owned every PlayStation, so I, I think I know what I'm talking about when I talk did, about did you, the thing I watched today. Did you own the Xperia Play? Uh, that doesn't count. That's the only one that I've owned in the last <laughs> 20 years. Well, that's that's sort of zero. Okay, yeah, we're moving none. on. Yeah, no, uh, not, not to toot my own horn, but I even bought a fucking PSP and a Vita, so... Um, Ooh, both. So I, I want my money back. Um, no, yeah, we had the, uh, not the reveal event, but the uh, sort of debutante ball of the PlayStation reveal ceremonies throughout the entire summer. Today they finally announced the pricing, they announced after the show what the actual release games were going to be, um, but you got the first look at quite a few games, and um, yeah, they, they, they had uh, a good showing, they had a lot of good looking games, um, but I also have a lot of uh, qualms to pick, qualms to pick. Whatever yeah, with no, that, the show that, that's itself. probably right. But why don't we uh, why don't we go over like the main news? Uh, we had a few really interesting game announces that include Final Fantasy 16 and the the Harry Potter Hogwarts Legacy game that has been you know leaked about a thousand times. But what, what were your impressions <laughs> of the two games? Now, is this the when was the last time they had a a, a lock on a Final Fantasy game? added a lock on oh, like when was the last time they had exclusivity even timed for a final oh, fantasy game uh seven remake this year uh, oh yes okay um other than seven remake <laughs> um let's see 12 12 13 uh, wasn't so 12 12 was on ps2 so it's been four games okay it- and i 14 i guess never it still hasn't come to xbox consoles so it still has that. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh, that looked cool. That looked yeah. like fun. I mean, I'm. It's been so long since I played a Final Fantasy game that like what Final Fantasy means in my head means is not at all related to what Final Fantasy has been for the last ten years. Yeah. Yeah, it, it comes at a really interesting time because like all I expected out of this was pricing news, really, and so in that sense, like the whole show exceeded my expectations, but also. When you when all you want to see is you know the price for a console that should have been announced four months ago, and you're getting like <laughs> a game that you've highly anticipated for a few years now, it was like really jarring for me. Like I, I couldn't, I didn't get excited about it, and that makes me really sad. I don't know if it was the contents of the trailer itself, or just the fact that I literally just wanted to see a three digit number on a screen, and I got Final Fantasy 16, and I'm still reeling from it because that's kind of how i felt when they announced the series x at the the game awards last year it was mm-hmm. just like oh yeah i'm gonna watch the game awards it's gonna be some cool game trailers and it opened with the series x re- announced and i was like huh it's gonna take me a while <laughs> to process that <laughs> well it's also can we just because we didn't talk about this with the xbox thing really like we're months out from this this is this less these, than these things are happening this year it feels like this is the kind of information that should have been given to us earlier this year or last year. Yes. For maybe not necessarily like exact guarantees of release games, but at least like here are some of the big tent poles. Here's pricing. Here are the yeah. models that are going to exist. And it, it just feels everything feels so weird because of that. Right. Right. And I think that's why this was such a jarring announce because they didn't announce any period of time when this game was coming out so we we as viewers sort of come into the show thinking like oh we're gonna we're all we're gonna hear about is you know the the price of the console the games that are coming out on launch date and the price of the games and out of those three we only got like the price of the console and everything else was just like norm the normal sort of sony e3 experience 
because yeah the, the final fantasy game's not coming out there was literally not even a year announced in the trailer um just that that we are making one it yeah. is going to happen it's Confirmed. coming out it's a timed exclusive um and you know look, please look forward to it but that's how they led the show so it set like a really weird tone for the show for me how did the other tra- trailers jump at you were there any that jumped out at you really strongly that that evoked some important feelings in you <laughs> well i think so out of the new games that were announced like uh the, the i think hogwarts legacy you know could be really interesting i don't mm. i don't did did that strike you as interesting at all I like the idea of the the shift in time period. Yeah. That could be cool. I don't have an, enough of a connection to the Harry Potter universe to have the the reaction I think it was supposed to get from me. Mm. Like I I have nothing against Harry Potter. I enjoyed the books that I've read, but I'm not whatever the right collective noun is for people who like Potter. I don't know what that is. Potter fans. That, Potter yeah, Potter fan. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, a dyed in the wool Potter fan, so I <laughs> It looks it looks cool. I'll probably never play it. Yeah, I, I I think I am interested in it, but because it's been leaked several times and I still don't know what to expect from it, it, it also sort of didn't have that resonance. And again, I think a lot of this is because I didn't expect any of this information today. I literally just thought this <laughs> your was brain a wasn't event. ready to, yeah. to handle any of this. So what I felt like I got today wasn't any anything new or interesting like i'm really excited this game exists and is happening Mm. and i hope they realize on every one of their visions but i don't think they showed anything today that that made me sit up and be like oh my god that's that's the game of the generation coming out you you didn't feel that way about god of war ragnarok oh that's see now there (laughs) that was just just a logo teaser um well yeah because of course but (laughs) I that that definitely stands a chance of being the game of the generation. <laughs> I mean, if I can't say anything definitively, but if you told asked me right now what my game of this console generation was, it was God of War. Wow. Well, shame that it didn't win Game of the Year. Yeah. Well, didn't didn't come out last year. Well, you know, that's just, if it had been <laughs> Game of the Generation, harder. it could have it could have overcome those obstacles. Yeah. <laughs> Game off generational uh, divide episode. We'll do that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I think. What I think the what about that... the uh, new Abe's Odyssey game? Anything? Any thoughts oh. on that? Oh fucking come on! That's <laughs> that was the part of the show where I was like, I guess it's it's bathroom time. Well, so the the new Five Nights at Freddy's didn't get you either. I was wasn't that not what. Five Nights at Freddy's. I don't even know what this game is. I just know that my brother has a t-shirt for it, and I asked him what the game was, and he said I'd never played it, and I was like, okay. <laughs> that's that's all I know about Five Nights at Freddy's. Please tell me you know something more. Uh, I know it's spooky. I know that creepy bears at night come and jump in your face and go blah, and I know that there have been a variety of different attempts to evolve the game. I think he tried to make an RPG at one point. And then it didn't meet expectations, so he gave everyone their money back. Spooky RPG. Is this all just one guy? Is this Freddy? I, I think it. I believe it started off as one guy who made like a educational children's game, and then reused some of the creepy ass or the assets which people said looked creepy to make a horror game. <laughs> and then you know, obviously made millions and millions and millions of dollars off of this thing, and from you know people on at the time YouTube having really shouty reactions to the game oh man oh god we, we maybe we should we should uh make a brief aside about the ubisoft forward last week where the oh. every game they showed was just youtubers screaming about something completely uninteresting right yeah that ubisoft forward forgot that happened already totally yeah, i did about that. and did you know because um for people who aren't aware th- that um, Yves Jumeau, I'm t- totally but- butchering that, but I'm doing my best, issued a, uh, they had a pre-recorded statement that they couldn't, in the month that they had to work on it, find a way to work into their hour-long segment of time uh, that uh, to address the fact that there's been systematic abuse that's been ignored and, and tolerated at Ubisoft for quite some time. 
And so he tried to you know address that by saying like, oh man, that sucks. <laughs> but people didn't have it. Uh, I and... wouldn't want to be abused. <laughs> Thankfully, it'll never happen to him. <laughs> because they jump on that real quick if it was him. But they, they promised that in the VOD version of the thing that they would put that separate video at the and they never did. Yeah, they, the VOD version still doesn't have his thing, his you know two minute apology or non apology that they couldn't find a way to work into the actual thing rather than showing extensive footage of a very mediocre looking Prince of Persia remake. Yeah, boy, yeah, boy, did it. Yeah, I think not not to derail from a totally serious uh, yeah, yeah. topic, but like back to like the PlayStation thing. It's like they there's such an aversion to putting any sort of information that might be at all, you know, n- not positive to the brand into right. these showings. Cause they know that like f- fucking God knows how many 15 million, let's say are watching this and on video on demand, there's maybe like 800,000 because, uh, yeah, a, a big thing that happened was like a tremendous amount of information came out right after the Sony conference about, um, you know, like how no- nothing was nothing was clearly stated that there was a release date in the entire conference. And, and so, weren't most of the games or all of them, like it wasn't clear which were actually on release of the console and which were coming after? Exactly. So it, it like, not until after did anyone find out that the Mile, Spider-Man Miles Morales and Demon Souls were coming at launch. And it seems crazy because those two are highly highly sought after and popular game franchises i i and, saw more people talking about demon souls than i did most of those other games yeah demon souls was the best looking game of the showcase as far as i'm concerned but we and i'm, I'm there I, i'm excited that people are going to get a chance to play it i mean i won't because you know i don't have a playstation <laughs> but although i don't know if that was one of the ones that was like oh it's it's a ps5 exclusive also available on pc Yes, and then that that was one of the other things is once all the the trailers dropped onto um, YouTube, if you scroll to the end where you know that it said that it was also going to be available on PC, it also made it clear that they were timed exclusives, not just exclusives. Right. And it said that they'll be available on other consoles at some point. Um, so it's like there's some like fucking misdirections and red herrings going on. Um, they didn't announce any news on the pre-orders. So after the show, you had to find out the pre-orders are actually live tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and also games are $70 now. Like that's big news that people probably are interested in hearing. Now, like I'm guessing that if, if they're going to be selling the game at $70, we can see fewer built-in microtransactions and loot boxes. We'll see fewer things like EA trying to put actual ads for the boys season two in sports <laughs> games. Like they, Because now that they've been able to recoup some of the cost of making these games, which they said, you know, they justified all these additional expenses because games are so expensive to make. Now that we've raised the price, we can scale back on that other shit, right? Like that's what's going to happen, right? I don't, I don't know what gave you that impression, Andy, but I can <laughs> safely say that you're a goddamn fool. Um... <laughs> To, to Sony's credit, um, they have done a good job with microtransactions in the current generation. Uh, yes. I never really had a problem with it in any of their games. But that's that's like, this is a sort of a, what's the term I'm ca- looking for? Water, not a water cooler moment. Watershed, watershed moment. Watershed, that's the one. Woo, we got there. It's, <laughs> it's a watershed moment in the industry because um, as long as I've been alive, there's only been two other set price points for you know AAA games and it's been $50 and then $60 mm-hmm. and so now Sony's coming out and saying we're doing $70 period like that's kind of big news <laughs> like well, th- every that... every other game is going to follow suit now every oh, other yeah. game now, now that they're going to be the ones that they get to get the temporary bad publicity of oh Sony's raising the prices on games and everyone else is going to run $60 games now that's yeah. just that's just how much games cost now it's just just a fact of life but but yeah i I don't know why they're so averse to just like having these conversations with their consumers when they have like these wide audiences like it's gross when ubisoft did it it's 
less gross because Sony's a business that apparently isn't touching all of their employees, but yeah, um, and the things that that they were avoiding weren't allegations of rampant abuse, but like <laughs> yeah. specific release dates. Yeah, so so just just to put that into context to be clear, but yeah, not to equate the two in no. any way. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, so there there were definitely some highs and lows to the show. I th- I think it was pretty a pretty hype event. It's hmm. cra- it's crazy that. Final Fantasy 16 got announced today. Like that's that's a pretty pretty big deal. Like there's not a Final Fantasy game every every two years. Um, I mean, we did get one last last year, or was it no earlier this year? Uh, which one are you thinking of? Crystal Chronicles Remaster? Yeah, wasn't that isn't that a mainline? Isn't that oh, everyone was go, hyped for? Go to hell. Go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, the Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, that I guess. Yeah, I mean, it does use the the full strength of the development teams at Square Enix. So I guess that's fair, but it's not it's not a new Final Fantasy. No, but I mean it also, I mean it very much is. It is. It definitely is. It could have been Final Fantasy 16 if they had any balls and, you know, <laughs> create wanted to create new characters. Now that would have been an amazing move. Final Fantasy 16 and you start playing it and it's Final Fantasy 7 remake. Yeah. Like they don't they don't sell it that way. They don't make that clear at all. You just get in there and you're like, oh, Genova Sh- again, huh? Okay, okay, Cloud? I- interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and somehow it'd still be a less stupid title than Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait till you talk about that one. Oh yeah, I have, I have opinions. Um, coming soon to the Game Up Podcast, Brent. Brent's take on Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah, any any other thoughts about the PlayStation show? No. I mean, I'm happy to see Oddworld franchise still living on. I know I'm one of eight people that, <laughs> that likes the Oddworld games. Oh, stop it. I like I like uh, Oddworld games. Okay. Abe, Abe, is, Abe is a fun character. I like that yeah. world. I assume you're being sarcastic. I'm not. I, I'm not. Okay. I, I bought I bought a, a uh, Oddworld new and tasty. I've got I got them all. At least the ones that were available on PC. Right. It's a good series. Oh, we should talk about the pricing of the consoles before we talk about Oh, right. Anymore. Yeah, that that's that's a, a bit of a an important topic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So earlier at some point last week, Xbox had sort of leaked all of their pricing for next gen and it's five hundred for the high end console, uh, and three hundred for the low end console. Put that in perspective. Apparently, the the Series X is capable of 8K, but you probably could expect 4K on average for most games. Mm. And the Series X is uh, you can expect 2K essentially, which is 1440p. Um, we're not going to get deep into the the technical weeds, just because we're not really like a high tech podcast. Send us some Microsoft Duos, please. Um, <laughs> oh God, please. But. But that's like that's sort of the framework for how you can uh, envision the next gen. Um, both consoles are capable of ray tracing and you know have SSDs in them, so we're expecting a lot faster load times. Finally, because my God, I'm playing the Outer Worlds uh, DLC on Xbox One X right now, and mm-hmm. the load times are just inconscionably slow. Like, <laughs> oh my God. But. Yeah, so uh, along with this PlayStation event, uh, we saw the price of the regular PS5, the one with the disk drive, I guess, and that comes in at 500 as well, the same price as the Series X, and then they have the digital, which comes in at 400 and that does not have a disk drive. Now, the interesting thing about this is that, by all accounts, the PS5 mainline compared to the series x is in an inferior console at power wise sure um we can talk about exclusivity and games still blue in the face but we're going to talk about hardware for a minute it's inferior but you get this 400 dollars box that is suddenly inferior but also not so much more inferior to the series x and it's coming in at a hundred dollars lower um, what do you think the impact of this is going to be sort of on, on how consumer buying patterns given the coming this holiday season? Yeah, I'm I'm real curious about that. 
this is this is that kind of like drawing the line in the sand moment i think and like because it's gonna that's gonna draw a line between people who are buying based on wanting to be in a specific ecosystem and people who are buying based on actual dollars i've seen people on twitter recently talking about how the whole uh grandma buying stuff argument when it comes to consoles and tech doesn't really happen anymore yeah like that because of things like the fact that everything's just so expensive and people aren't buying gifts like that, especially during this economy, but also yeah. just like because of things like Amazon wishlists and, and being able to specifically put what you want there. The, oh, well, I bought the Switch Lite and Grandma bought me a game that's compatible with Switch, but not so like that just doesn't happen anymore. Right. So because I, I saw a lot of people making that argument for the for the Xbox and like, oh, people aren't going to know what the hell they're buying and which one is which. Yeah. The, the naming would be confusing for sure if, like, you did, weren't involved in games at all. If you didn't play right. any games, like, there's there's an Xbox One, but there's Series X, and then there's an Xbox S, Xbox Series SS. So, like, it, it, it makes sense on paper, but what you're saying is that it's just not the reality of things. And I, I think this is going to, more than, than the last or previous generations, kind of give a real feel for what where people are in as far as ecosystem loyalty. Yeah. Be, having having that only $100 price difference there it is really going to I don't know test people's loyalty which I, I hate saying cuz we're talking about consumer products for multi-billion dollar <laughs> corporations I but mean, the the phone wars are still a thing so Yeah, yeah, it's so I I, I don't know that there are a ton of people who are really crossing the aisle anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think I agree. Like, I, I think Sony has a stronger launch lineup, but I also am so invested in the Xbox ecosystem at this point that I can just plug in whatever new console that I buy, and I have all of my old games. And I that, think. That... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, and that's probably like, to some extent that also is going to exist on the new generation of PlayStation. So, I, is there a reason for PlayStation users to cross the aisle? I think the only thing that that Microsoft has that could really pull that, and that they've been pushing it like crazy, is the Game Pass. Mm. And they've been really selling that idea of Game Pass, and then their console leasing scheme. I think that's what they have that could potentially sway people's purchasing decisions one way or another. Yeah. I, I don't I don't see it on PlayStation side. I don't I don't see just a hundred dollar cheaper hardware being enough to do it, and I don't see a particular launch lineup being enough to do it either. It's good, and it might I think a launch lineup might get people who are going to buy a PS5 at some point to buy it sooner. Yeah. But I don't know that people are seeing the ps5 launch lineup and saying all right fuck that xbox i'm buying a, i'm buying a playstation now because of these eight games that are coming out yeah yeah if if we look purely at like the new generation of consumers that isn't super invested in you know digital products on one one console or one platform or another um you're seeing a 300 dollars box that's going to be essentially not not future proof but will be relevant for the foreseeable future you can get that at three hundred dollars get 150 gig or 125 games uh with a subscription um yeah it, it, it's gonna be really interesting because like it, there is a certain fervor around playstation like they're like people feel strongly about playstation every oh, time yeah, they, they go do. on twitter it's they it's sure kind of crazy it's it's overwhelming so I, I really like it in uh, in history. History has always taught us on consoles that the cheaper console sells the most. Right. Like it, period. It doesn't matter launch lineup. Like you said, like it doesn't really impact things all that much. But but I will be curious moving forward with this fervor around PlayStation. See if they can maintain that and justify a hundred dollars more than a, a, a Series S. And people people see the value there, or if people are like three hundred dollars is my fucking budget. Like, are you crazy? Like, I'm not spending a dollar more, right? And, and I think still get 
when you end up in that situation, I you still have something like the Switch, which is also very inex- it's like if you're looking at just people who want to play games and don't have an infinite you know supply of money. Yeah. And I think Nintendo has done a pretty decent job in the last generation shedding its this is for kid gamers reputation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's gotten away from that quite a bit. So, you know, I think that if you're in the family of we're buying a console and we have a limited amount of money to spend on it, I don't know that a disc driveless PlayStation is where you're going to end up, especially if they're vowing for $70 games. Yeah. And and that's a good point, too. It's like, essentially, PlayStation is saying that they're willing to take a hit on consoles, but it's because you're just locked into their ecosystem and you have no other alternatives for buying games. Um, does, that that may scare off a lot of people that don't want to play $70 games, but they, they're willing to, you know, buy a used game for $10 more a week after re- or $10 less for at week after release or something like that. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard to know how many people are out there like that, but... I'm going to be fascinated to see what this does in the, in the Christmas season. If, you know, yeah. with, just with everything going on in the world and the economy, what their Christmas sales are going to look like. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be very interesting. Especially because there's a good chance of shortages. Um, yep. There's a good chance new information will come out and maybe... Maybe all these consoles don't have the specs we think we d- they do, because there was also no, not really that much spec talk about the PlayStation since their their hardware chat at uh, fuck I think it was Dice in March. Yeah, I so, forgot about that. And they they announced the 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 discless PlayStation after that. So who the fuck knows nowadays? <laughs> Fucking like seven weeks from release too. This is this is crazy to me. But. Yeah, I, that that I still can't believe. It, it just it doesn't feel like we're about to release a console or two. Yeah, this year's been so weird and slow and fast, and yeah, I don't think anyone's ready for it. Like, I'm I'm ready for something new to play with while I'm stuck in the side for the rest of eternity. But <laughs> otherwise, yeah, it, do, it doesn't feel like a, a typical console release year where like. I, obviously you're more of a PC gamer, but usually it's like an all-consuming thing. Like, oh my god, it's this many days away, and now it's like, well, it's just going to occur to me, and I will have this next <laughs> generation of consoles before I, I know it. I will notice it when I see people posting on Reddit about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, whereas previously, like I was aware of the fact that the 360 was being released. <laughs> I, I remember knowing people who were going to ps2 and ps3 launch events yeah not so much yeah. anymore yeah that's that was that was a big part of council releases growing up man I, i'm gonna miss that yeah. this year at least it's a, it's a different world now yeah r.i.p grandmas <laughs> you, ready talk, you ready to talk, talk some games yes i am andy well why don't you tell us a little bit about space thing game oh, star oh, renegade you forgot star it. Renegade. Yeah, i got, you got it. there you got there yeah star renegades is a great little uh stylish roguelike indie turn-based rpg um essentially you're in this sort of futuristic space exploration era where these reality bending a- not aliens reality bending mean people are taking over all realities so they keep dominating one go to the next one go to the next one so this sets up the the roguelite experience or the roguelike experience um you play as a handful of renegades um as you build your team up throughout your journey to defeat these baddie baddies um but it it never ends because it's a roguelike so You'll you'll play as the same heroes throughout every different reality. When you fail, you'll go into a new reality, and all your heroes will ha- take on a slightly different color or hue, or you know, s- s- their space suit will be pink instead of red. Um, but ooh, yeah, yeah, fancy. So th- it, there are distinctions between runs, but for the most part, what you're playing is a very s- a similar experience every time you do a run. 
Um, you'll start off on a planet, and there's four planets. And what you, you do is you enter each planet, <laughs> and you sort of walk around and breach into different segments of the land. The exploration is kind of weird, so that's why I'm having trouble explaining it. But the the big, big ups that I give this game is the combat. Um, it uses a timeline combat sort of layout. Um, a lot like how I explained in Other Side, except it's a lot less clunky and nuanced it's it's very simple and easy to understand you have like a 60 second bar essentially and what a lot of the combat is is you trying to delay or stagger your enemies so that they don't they either take their turns really late or they don't take their turns at all um yeah so each individual hero has their own interesting play styles um what you would see between heroes is maybe more damaging effects, maybe more uh, debuffing effects. The biggest part of the combat, though, is this staggering effect that deals with the timeline. A lot of these heroes will use abilities that can stagger people for, you know, 45 seconds, 30 seconds, etc., etc. I found those to be the most overpowered heroes in the game. Um, just just because you could actually control combat a lot more, um, which gives, now just gives way. Just so I, I, I'm picturing it correctly, this is turn-based combat. Yes, it's 100 turn-based. It's all based on the timeline. So you've got um, a bunch of your guys and their guys are all in some order on this this timeline, and as time passes and hits them, it's their turn to move. Exactly, okay. and you'll it'll always be actively doing the math on where you are on the timeline. So you always know where you're going to fall. It do, it's not like a surprise. Other side did this where like enemies would go before you, but then they could do something that you did, couldn't plan around and duck you back to the end of the timeline. And you'd be like, Oh fuck. Well, I guess I'm just dead now in this. It'll, it'll tell you right up front. It's like, Oh, you're not going to attack fast enough. They're going to attack you first and delay you. Um, so the, the math is really solid in the combat, but but yeah, the, the turn-based com- combat allows it to be really tight, really interesting. Um, you get this sort of experience where it's a symphony, symphony, a symphony of attacks, and it just when you execute it all perfectly, it's just like the best feeling in the world. But again, all, all the combat seems to revolve around you staggering people, so you find out very early that the strongest heroes in the games the ones with like the longest staggers so i would always end up picking the same same three heroes because they had the the strongest stagger effects in the game to start and throughout the game you can pick up two more heroes with the maximum of party of five um i love that later party five um (laughs) and yeah you, you eventually you would you'd build on to to the staggering and you would uh get support now is this one of those roguelikes where you are you're trying to defeat the big bad and once you defeat the big bad the game is over or are you always trying like a game like binding of isaac where you just keep kind of replaying it over and over again doesn't matter how far you get there is no real beating it versus something like rogue legacy where you can win yeah no it's it's definitely not like rogue legacy in that it's sort of intended to be played indefinitely but i don't think it executes on that promise very well um essentially since they've already established that you can just jump into another reality so like oh we saved this reality now we're going to another reality to save that one it's like well why can't the baddies from that reality come still come to this reality it's it's a lot of it's a lot of weird nonsense but um, but yeah, you, you keep playing even after you beat the game. And honestly, once I beat the game the first time and could still use the same save profile and build onto what you've already built up, I, I didn't find much point to playing it a second mm, time. That's always the, that's always the trouble with roguelikes, isn't it? Yeah. It, it feels like once you've, you've, you know, summited the mountain, there's, there's nothing left to find. <laughs> just, just the the empty hole in your soul. Um, yeah. How does, it, how does it do? It's like between 
run progression? Is it is it unlocking new things to find during your run? Is it uh, upgrading stats in between? What does it do? There are, there are no stat upgrades, and I think that's where I sort of found the biggest problem in the game. I would have liked to have seen um, more from a second playthrough and not just, I've already found my comp, I'm just going to do this, but again... Uh, that that's sort of what they expect of you because after I had done three, I think it took me four full runs to beat the game. After the third full run, I had lo- unlocked everything I need needed to beat the game, and there's nothing more that was interesting to unlock after that. It's that- things like gear that drops or enemy or allies that you can choose from the get go. Stuff that that's it. That reminds me a lot of Into the Breach. Did you ever play that one? No, I never got around to it. Yeah, you didn't miss much because I think it had that same issue of like once I beat it and had and unlocked all like the five or six different comps you could have it was like oh, okay, well, that's that then. Yeah, yeah. No, that it, it very much felt like that. Like I, I've I've beaten the game. Like when I start again, I can't expect anything different. Um, Honestly, when I had started another playthrough, I played a little bit, and I was like, this doesn't seem harder or anything, or like they've added anything, and I that was when I stopped playing, was very shortly into my second quote-unquote playthrough. See, that that's disappointing to me. That's disappointing, because I like... Those kind of games can have that real great staying power. Like, I just... Mm. I just finished my third run-through of Remnant from the Ashes. If you remember that one from last year? Oh, I definitely do. Yeah, I'm still playing that. Still, just awesome. finished my my third playthrough, and uh, it's still and I just jump right back into it. I'm like, this is still a lot of fun. I'm, I said, I'm still finding new stuff, and uh, it does not sound like like Space Bastards has that. <laughs> Space Bastards, no Star Renegades doesn't have that. Oh, um, mm, that one neither. Huh? <laughs> yeah, no, that it's definitely my biggest problem with the game. Um, but. I will say that the combat kept me very interested for a very long time, but that very long time expired the second that I beat it. Like, the second. I guess um, that's even, not necessarily sort of, the worst thing. How, how long would you say it took took to beat it? Uh, probably like 10 hours. Well, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, each playthrough is kind of long. So, like, that that's sort of... Uh, sort of de-incentivizing of playing a new playthrough just because I know how long it is. Like, it's not like Enter the Gungeon where it's like, oh, I'm probably going to get duked in, like, within 15 minutes. So right. <laughs> I'm just going to just gonna do this real quick. Um, no, you're you're committing to a very long run. Um, and, yeah, it only took four runs. So it's, it's, it's not a um, long game if you just do the first playthrough. It's The combat is a lot of fun, though. I really enjoyed it. Especially because as your team grows, your enemies grow too. So by the time you get to the last planet, the your your combat looks a lot different. Hmm. I, I'm I'm finding it hard to read whether or not you recommend this game. I absolutely recommend the game. Oh, I have okay. a lot of problems with it. I think I think if you purport yourself to be a, a, a rogue like experience, I expect there to be replayability and i'm not necessarily a person that does do a lot of replaying of games but in this case i wanted to replay it and i wanted the game to give me a reason to do it and it didn't so my my disappointment is that i i loved the game but i wanted more out of it and it didn't it didn't provide it that's that's unfortunate that that is that's a hundred percent what you want from a roguelike is it should at least in my mind it should take more than four attempts to beat, and you should want to keep playing even after you've beaten it because this should be feel like there's still more to to explore, more comps to play with, more yeah things to run into, something. Like what what was the first thought you had when you beat Slay the Spire? Oh yeah, it was like oh my god, I have to do that again. Yeah, I, I like play this a hundred more times. I, I can't believe I actually beat this. My deck was so shithouse, I can't believe I succeeded. <laughs> but now that I've won, I've got a better idea of how to play this better. And yep. win faster, win more efficiently. Yeah, that's that's all I expect from any roguelike. I, I'm not expecting that sort of level of addictiveness. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it didn't give me any cause. Now, 
there are things to unlock after you beat it. It just wasn't interesting. Like, mm. you can unlock one new starting item, but you get really good ones really early on, so there's not really, like, any reason to go out of your way to do that. You can also get, like, special perks that you can also only activate one at a time of. So, like, but the one I had was super buggy. So, for example, you there's four perks in the game, at least that I saw. Some might unlock later or whatever, but you can, at nighttime, you can pick up just random loot lying around. And so I forego, for, forgoed that. <laughs> to get a perk where I would heal a little bit of armor in the night. Oh, okay. Too much into the the combat nuances because it's boring. But I would you don't heal between combat. You only heal after planets unless you manually heal. Um, but I so I, I foregoed did that and got the armor healing thing and it just bugged out half the time. Like it didn't heal the armor. So I was like, oh, oh okay. So fun. So that's that's another thing that I didn't feel like i had worked towards and unlocked that made me happy that's disappointing yeah like i said the combat itself is is very 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 satisfying you'll get one good playthrough out of that so i want everyone to sort of like put put their their value on that into how much they spend into the game because i would say that I would recommend this game to most people, but at very different price points. Like, it's on Game Pass for PC. I would recommend it to anyone with Game Pass for Game Pass <laughs> with Game Pass for PC. Um, hundred percent. Just give it a try. It's a lot of fun. Um, but I think it retails for twenty five bucks. You, you may not get that value out of that. It's, it's just it's one playthrough. I mean, it, that's that really isn't that much money anymore we're seeing 70 dollars games nowadays so in that context it's a bargain bargain at any amount of playtime. you have any final thoughts yeah I, I didn't bother touching on how absolutely beautiful the game is too that was one of the things that kept reeling me back in um it's the sort of like pixel art but in the the 3d environments so there's a lot of like shadow effects in even despite it being uh, essentially a 2d game oh i like so, those it's it's fucking beautiful the combat arenas that you're in the battlefields that each fight takes place in vary from fight to fight depending on the locale on each of the four planets um you sometimes are fighting on these bridges and sometimes you're fighting on like elevators and sometimes you're fighting inside caves like it's all gorgeous gorgeous at least watch a trailer do me that do well, you, me that. Just watch a trailer for this damn game. You have done a good job, like giving me a very uh, <laughs> a roller coaster of thoughts. Because I, <laughs> I was thinking, like, oh, I should try that game. I think I actually even haven't installed it. Haven't played it yet. And then I started listening. I'm like, you know what? I maybe I'm just gonna uninstall that game. And then at the end of this, I'm like, you know, what? no, I'm I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna <laughs> try you, it. I'm gonna try this. Um, I, I may not have done a good enough job of conveying uh the the first time experience because it's really good the first time around but if you're a roguelike person if that's what you go into roguelikes looking for is this reiterative experience and iterative and just being better and stronger and faster and whatever every single time you play uh you're not going to get that really really not um but you'll master the game fairly quickly i like i'm saying like six eight hours in you'll have tried out most comps in the game and then you'll you'll pretty much have figured out what the winning comp is by the time i had my fourth run i was like going into it i was stupidly confident i was like i've seen everything this game can throw at me there is a zero percent chance i'm gonna lose this run and i was correct but there are three heroes that i never unlocked so there is more to the game that i don't know so I will throw that in as a last second fucking caveat. So there there are certain unlockables that I was not made privy to even after beating the game, and they probably do have special unlock requirements. Okay. So, so, sounds like a solid it sounds like a solid recommendation. 
yeah yeah solid recommendation don't expect to play it more than once it may not retain you if it does great beautiful game great combat that that's that's the summary of the last 15 minutes of rambling (laughs) all right uh shall we talk about hot shot racing oh hot shot racing i got that right thank you you did you did it's it's somehow just as hard to remember as space bastards hot shot racing (laughs) is the new racing game that i played this week it's out for purchase on consoles and you can buy it for uh currently 16 bucks 20 percent off normally goes for 20 bucks that's it that's all i'm gonna say no the (laughs) (laughs) Should, should i buy it you know i feel like it's rude it's very presumptive of me to tell you whether or not a game is good you should just try it or don't if it doesn't sound like them you'd like hotshot racing takes us back to a world of that that early 2000s arcade racing of ridge racer of daytona rally of no sega rally and daytona usa makes those two in my head um a virtual racer that polygonal arcadey amazing soundtrack great uh announcer voice racing games from the early 2000s and it is very much a love letter to those games. I played a lot of those in the arcade when I could get to an arcade in the early 2000s. I played some of them on my friend's Sega Saturn when I had a friend that had a Sega Saturn. They were great. Do you have experience with those games? Oh my god, yeah. Cruising, cruising World and Cruising oh, USA. Cruising, yeah, Cruising World and Cruising USA. This is that kind of wonderful racing where you've got a track that doesn't have secret pathways to take or anything like that. It's just racing and there isn't a bunch of crazy shit you need to know about how to do it there's just just race and if you want to do manual you can but you can do automatic and you boost when your boost gauge is charged and otherwise just race better and race better than you did before and i like that it's simple it's honest and and that's what this is this is a simple honest hard-working arcade racer that pull itself up by by its bootstraps uh a a god-fearing racing game that we can all get behind (laughs) it it, it is your but it is very much in the in that line you have your four different grand prix that you can run each one has four uh four courses in it you have your time trial mode where you can go through each one or go through it in the mirrored world uh it's got a couple of other game modes about going through checkpoints so you don't explode or doing a cops and robbers thing, which it doesn't really feel like it's very well implemented. It's kind of trying to do like a need for speed, hot pursuit thing, but it's it, no, no midtown racing. Yeah. Yes. No, it's nothing like that. It's, it's very kind of clunky and yeah. I don't like those modes. I just played grand prix over and over again and, and I've got like two trophies left and then I've beaten it because I'm, I'm garbage at these games and I'm, I'm playing <laughs> with a Xbox controller instead of a extremely loose racing wheel covered in pizza grease at the local arcade. Like I should be. Like this game is meant to be played. Fucking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, boosting. You boost. <laughs> that's that's the key to the game. That's key to your driving around and, and using your boosts effectively. You, you charge your, your four little boosts by either drifting or slipstreaming those are the only two ways to do it no near misses or oncoming traffic or anything like that in a burnout game just drift and slipstream to charge your boost and you know standard tactics for these things apply get a nice boost start save up your boost gauge until the last couple of corners of the last lap and win it's got great music it's got a great announcer the eight characters you can play as are amazingly Stereotypical sounds like it, it, it's it's offensive, and that's not really what it is. But they, it's, it's it's curdling that line a little bit. Yeah. Oh, you have you you've played it? I did one race where I did the character select, and I was like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a pastiche. We'll call it. <laughs> oh, generous. Okay. Of culturally insensitive games of the past. <laughs> Um, and, and you could say, if you're doing a parody of something, but you just do the thing that you're parodying, 
is that actually a parody or are you just doing the thing? And you'd yeah. be right in saying that. Um, it's definitely not great the way that they've done their character select. Uh, <laughs> it could have been a bit more inclusive and a little less on the nose with some of the, um, you know, the the uh, girl from Japan did not have to put on a robot racing helmet and be in a robot. Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, that, that's definitely the one that stood out to me. I was like, oh. Yeah, some of them, okay. like, the British guy just being kind of a foppish dandy who talks about how his dad owns everything and, <laughs> you know, like, that, okay, it's... It's still lazy. It's still <laughs> cheap, but it, it's... It's a rich British guy, so I don't care as much, I guess, is what I'm saying. <laughs> that's that's basically where I'm coming that's, down on it. I understand. Yeah. I will leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, this can really cool cars. I There's only really four cars. There's balanced, drift focus, acceleration focused, or speed focused. Which, which did you find worked best? I really enjoyed acceleration focused. That worked best for me. That's probably not the best one. But I'm really bad at these games, so being able to get back on my feet very quickly is what allows me to even stay mildly competitive. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I played on some of the others, but I played a lot of, um, what was her name? I think it was Keiko? Is, was the Japanese girl's name? I, I believe so. I, yeah. I, belie- I pl- played her drift-focused car the most, because I liked the way it looked. It looked like an old hmm. Z car. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You can customize them up a little bit. That's pretty neat. The tracks that you race on are that 2000s-era level of silliness. There's, you know, your standard going on the beach, going in a city, but then there's also, like, going through dinosaur jungles and one where you go (laughs) in Las Vegas where you actually drive through a casino. Like, ones that feel very much reminiscent of your cruising worlds and cruising exoticas and cruising USAs. Do you have any questions? Um, Yeah, so... do you play many other racing games? Did you find this transition hard? Was this more down your alley than traditional racing games? This is the kind of racing game that I like. I really like arcade-style racers uh, because I'm not very good at driving, and I don't understand how manual shifters work. So that <laughs> helps a lot when I can play in automatic and just hold down that accelerate. The So... That transition from, like, I had also actually been recently uh, playing more of Forza Horizon, and that was definitely a a transition that I had to wrap my head around a little bit. Mm -hmm. Slightly different feel to the game than Forza. But overall, I thought it did a good job recreating that arcade racer experience. I, you know, I, it reminded me a lot of those older ones, or even something like, uh, you know, power ups aside, something like, uh, what was it, Blur or Split Second? Oh, yeah. Split second did a lot of that, yeah. Where it just, it you feel very, it, drifting feels effortless and like your car weighs eight pounds. You yeah. know, it, it it's very easy to just bounce back from anything. You just you ping off people like pinballs. There's no real, <laughs> uh, there's no real damage. There's no real um, weight to anything you're doing. Would you, would you say this experience is closer to a Mario Kart than a Need for Speed or the inverse of that? Mario Kart's hard because Mario Kart always feels so slow. Mario Kart never feels fast mm. to me. And I think part of it is how small you are compared to the width of the track you're on. Like, it makes it always feel like you're small and, like, you're not moving very fast. <laughs> yeah, I can see Because you can always have, like, four or five people side by side at most points in any track. But I... I it probably is closer to, to Mario Kart just because of how light and... A feathery and, and forgiving everything is whereas Need for Speed and I haven't played Need for Speed in a little while but I remember them being a bit more demanding of you mm. and I mean hell you, you could actually like flip your car over in, in Need for Speed games <laughs> in this I don't think Can't I was ever this? able no not that I could remember I, I've never oh, been able to pull it off so it's, it's no Daytona is what I'm hearing yes yeah there's, there's no there's no going off the track there's no uh, flipping your car over and outside of the cops and robbers mode, there's no takedowns of any kind or anything like that, or even car damage that I saw. So I, I, I can almost not conceptualize playing this game without like a full arcade <laughs> setup. Do you, 
do you think that it it's would be better served in an arcade or did you think that the experience was just fine oh, it, on controller it definitely would feel more at home in an arcade if i had a if i had a real racing wheel if i had a wheel racing wheel and i had a cheap ass plastic um racing seat and one of those weird <laughs> arcade shifters that like has 500 pounds of spring behind it so it just like locks into place wherever you try to push it. Yeah. Like the slightest touch and it just bam. You hear it like a chunk right in there. <laughs> or the old was it was it uh was it the cruising games that just had high and low? I believe so, yeah. Either cruising games or the Daytona games. One of them just had had the high and low and that was it. This yeah. this feels like it would work well with that. But yeah, it it felt weird or not weird. It would feel more at home in an arcade. I'd still enjoyed it on PC. But I know that, like, playing it with a controller on PC is about as far removed as this game probably is was intended to be played or envisioned. Yeah. And that's also probably true with most most racing games. The, I, the only thing I could be doing worse is doing, like, wazzed controls. That's that's how I played fucking Midtown in my middle school. Yeah, that's, how I, that's how I played, uh, well, yeah, I played Early Need for Speeds, Midtown, Motocross Madness, if you remember that one. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I love motocross. Crazy to Madness. think we ever dealt with that. Yeah, God, I, I cannot believe I had the patience for that shit. <laughs> um, Did you play it at all? You play, you, say, you sound like you played at least one race. Uh, I I don't want to take away from your review with my experience. So hmm. I'm, I'm gonna abstain from commenting entirely. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I think we can all infer that that sounds like you had an even better experience than I did, and you just don't <laughs> want to influence me in that way. Possibly. Uh, now, and, and it should be said, I do not have the biggest experience with racing games. I played some in arcades and at friends' houses in the 2000s. I've dabbled here and there since then, mostly with arcade games that have come out. So stuff like Project Cars and Drift. Not Drift, Dirt. I don't know where I came up with the Drift. Dirt, things like that. Um, what's the Ubisoft one? Where uh, the, Club. The Crew? Club, Club Nightmare. The crew, that was it. The club, are you thinking Midnight Club? Midnight Club. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> Gotham City Racing. I played a little bit of that on Dreamcast. <laughs> if, if they still oh make God, those games. One... <laughs> I don't think so. No. They made the sequel to that Gotham City Imposters. Oh, yeah. Very popular. Uh, that, that was a hell of a pivot. Shooting. Worked for them, though. You know, good yeah, for them. Yeah. Taking it a different yeah, way. Yeah, I didn't play any Midnight Club, played some of that Gotham City racing on Dreamcast. Like, I, <laughs> I don't have the biggest pedigree for racing games. But this was definitely, as someone who had that nostalgia, it scratched an itch that I didn't really know I had for this specific art style and music style. So I liked it. Cool. Yeah, yeah cool. Uh, recommendations, final thoughts? I would recommend it to people who... Um, aren't going to secretly hate the game and not say anything about it on air. And I would recommend it to people who these kind of games exist as a fond memory for them. Where racing games, like, th these, the memories of these games exist as part of a whole package of being at a bowling alley birthday party or playing it in an <laughs> arcade in a mall. Like, where all of that comes along with it. And it's not just, I am sitting and playing a racing game. I think that probably helps augment it quite a bit. Okay. That was my final thought. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we failed to rank last week's games. So oh, yeah. So we need to do, Let's do that. four whole games today. What did, what did we play last week? Oh, God. Um... Oh, <laughs> We're both fired simultaneously. No, I know I played something. What the fuck was it? What did I talk about? Did I have thoughts? <laughs> okay, I'm pulling up SoundCloud. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to frantically pull up my podcast app. Oh, God, I'm not even logged in. This is my nightmare. <laughs> Fall Guys and Drake Hollow. So oh, that's it. Oh, that's easy. Uh, where would you put Fall Guys on the list? I'd put Fall Guys at number six above Streets of Rage 4. I would put... Drake Hollow at number 10 above Totally Reliable Delivery Service, which means that only two games are below it. And then we do this week's. 
yes, I would take the game that I played, whose name I remember, and it's Hot Shot Racing. Ah, there you go. Ah, and nice. I would put that at number six above Fall Guys. So that, wow. that just got knocked down immediately. Back to back. Wow, that's a good experience from Hot Shot. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Unlike some people who won't. <laughs> go You'll never know if I like it. I'll never know. You'll never know. I am going to be pretty generous with Star Renegades, despite my ramblings about how it's not replayable at all, but really enjoyed that, that first time experience. I'm going to put it at number four. Since we did uh, two game rankings this week, want to just read off your list for us where it stands right now? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'll go from bottom to top. Uh, at the bottom, I've got Animal Crossing, because that's not really a game. And then after that, at number 12, I've got Elderborn, which I keep forgetting I actually played this year. Uh, number 11 is Doom Eternal, which shouldn't have been made. Just no point. Number 10 was Microsoft Flight Simulator, which also isn't really a game. Number 9 Super Hot, which is fine. Number 8 is Streets of Rage, another game I forgot that I played. Number 7 is Fall Guys, which you could hear about last week. Number 6 is Hot Shot Racing, which you can hear about 10 minutes ago. Number 5 is Deep Rock Galactic, which... Like, I've been playing that since it was early access, so I feel like that shouldn't even be on this list because it came out, it feels like, eight years ago. Number four is Paper <laughs> Mario the Origami King. I should get back and finish that game. Number three is Monster... Holy shit, I played Monster Train on this? Wow. Okay. Number two is Murder by Numbers. That was a great game. And number one is XCOM Chimera Squad, which I also forgot about. So, that is my list. Yeah. I, you know, re-looking at this, I kind of forget that you put chimera squad at number one like, i remember really liking it up there i, I gotta go yeah. back to wow that was only that was only <laughs> six months ago god this year is taking forever oh yeah yeah that's crazy wow we're gonna be wrapping up this year again pretty soon oh my god that's terrifying oh but, my god uh, anyway uh from from the bottom to the top at 13 i got bleeding edge oh, which Jesus. isn't worth mentioning at all <laughs> Uh, number 12, totally reliable delivery service, which I, I wish I didn't remember that I played, but, you know, I did. <laughs> uh, Drake Hollow, please listen to the last episode where you find out why it's my third least favorite game of the year. Uh, <laughs> Minecraft Dungeons, very forgettable, but also oh my has God, touch, yes, touch controls Dungeons. now. It touch controls now. It's, it's kind of interesting to play on the cell phone, but uh, it's, it's still the same experience. Uh... Moving Out was a game I played at number nine. Um, Ori and the Will of Wisps uh, very generously put in number eight. Uh, Other Side extremely generously put up that high, even though I'm still playing it. I'm a sycophant. I can't be helped. Just kill me. Uh, Carry On. Carry On. uh, Carry On number six. (laughs) I'm not going to give any opinions on that. Nope. Deliver Us the Moon. Uh, I don't understand how it's been at number so high, but it's still at number five. Oh, my God. Deliver Us the Moon. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, the the meat of the feast here, Star Renegades, Kakarot, Gears Tactics, and Desperados 3. Um, yeah, the, the top of this, the top three I'm pretty happy about. So the rest of the, the rest of this list, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd take a few slaps. <laughs> oh, always good to catch up on the whole list because it's, it's, it's been a long year. It's been a long year. Now, before we wrap things up here, I actually have a message from one of our sponsors that I'm going to just run by you real quick. Now that you're stuck at home all the time, isn't it about time you found a new creative hobby? It's been six months of quarantine. You should have picked up some kind of creative thing by now. But if you haven't, you know, everyone's doing it. You open up Instagram and you see people knitting blankets, making sourdough bread, doing those pour paint where you pour paint on a thing and it looks really cool. I don't know how it works. I've watched like 20 of you. I don't know how that's supposed to. But it looks really cool. You know what I'm talking about, right? The pour paint things. Pour paint. No, pour pa- you pour paint on a... Pour people paint? No, no, it's like pour with an O-U. Look it up. Pour painting. Everyone. Everyone's doing it. Everyone look up pour painting. <laughs> Everyone from your freshman year biology lab partner to your first boss <laughs> that you keep forgetting to unfollow is exploring their creative side to distract them from... <laughs> and then I'm just gesturing to everything. Just to everything around us. If you're looking to stand out for the crowd, though, how about trying to make your own six-sided die? I bet you haven't seen anyone doing that on Instagram. All the materials you need can be ordered from your local craft store or online six-sided die crafting conglomerate. First, you'll need to make a mold of the dice that you want to copy using silicon, which is going to require you to already have a dice itself. So it may, But just stick with me here. It's still fun. The die itself will be made of resin that you inject into the mold and 
I, I, I admit this sounds like a really boring craft, so don't don't even make your own. Just it's too much work. Just forget I ever mentioned it. Just instead of wasting your money and giving it all to that online conglomerate, why don't you play Slotsy? Slotsy is an exciting new twist on a classic dice game that you can download right now for free in the Google Play Store. You can arrange your dice to make various hands, earn power-ups, maybe even earn yourself a place on the Slotsy leaderboards. It's not the same thing as sharing photos of your poor paint pictures on social media, but what were you going to do with all those paintings anyways? You don't have that wall space, be honest. Play Slotsy. Well, <laughs> fuck, fuck the dice uh, syndicates. That's all I have to say after that. They don't pay us. No, they don't. They don't. Uh, yeah. Any, any new features coming to Slotsy soon that you know of? No, no, nothing. Same, same set of features. It's got dice. Okay. You, you, everyone likes dice. Play dice. No, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Just, just don't make your own. No. So, please follow us on social media. We are Game Off Podcast. We post occasionally. We have hot takes that get posted and retweeted occasionally. And you should reply to those and engage with them and, uh, you know, tell us some games that you want us to play and, uh then we might play them i would be very interested to hear what people want us to play because when i when i look (laughs) at the views for the episodes i never understand what draws people in so they're just people like they're just hoping that we're gonna have really hot takes on on the latest nintendo games and we just don't yeah we just we just apparently don't like animal crossing that's just (laughs) just how it goes that was that was the most recent feedback I get uh, got for the podcast was, I can't believe Andy doesn't like Animal Crossing. I can't believe people do, because it's, <laughs> it's not a game. <laughs> All right, follow <laughs> us on Game Off Podcast on everything. I'm Arcadia, A-R-K-E-Y-D-I-A. Who the fuck are you? Ah, man, I'm... As old as time itself, I am Solitalker on all social media that's called Twitter, S-O-L-I-T-A-L-K S-O-L-I-T-A-L-K Solitaire, but with talker at the end. I, I can't spell it right now. You'll figure it out. I'm also Andy. Uh, yeah. Just Google Andy. You'll figure it yeah. out. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>